attentiveness to your word, that a right spirit will be renewed in us, restored unto us. Lord, we come with the baggage of the week on Sunday, the sins, the mistakes, the issues, relationships in our lives. And we need a right spirit restored unto us. We need fresh oil of your Holy Spirit that heals, that re-energizes and empowers us to live the life that you have called us as a holy people set apart for your purposes. So God, we pray. We pray for that fresh oil to be poured out today through the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that every heart would receive the seeds that you desire to implant and that the water, the rain of your spirit would come gushing forth upon us to produce the fruit of righteousness to which we are called. We pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It is wonderful to be in God's house. The presence of the Lord is a wonderful thing. God's gift to us. God. Um, This is a perfect time of year, the end of the year, to take stock of where we are as a church and to kind of set some new goals and vision to move forward. So this sermon, I apologize, but this sermon is primarily directed to members of Good Shepherd. But if you're here, I think you'll get something out of it uh, anyway. And maybe you'll even catch wind of the vision of this church and get excited about it and, and join the family. We welcome that as well. Um, let me just sort of sort of say that what's happened over the last year and a half since COVID broke is sort of COVID kind of wiped the slate clean and we started over and hit the reset button. And uh, when we came back, this service on uh, Pentecost Sunday of 2020, which was May 31st of last year, we had about 21, 22, 23 people. And the Lord has provided over the last year and a half. Many of you have come along and we are averaging around 45 to 55 total when the children ministry come back in. So praise God that he's given growth even through a, a dip, the difficult season uh, like the last year and a half has been. But in a sense, when you're going through uh, COVID, and I'm speaking of myself here and leading a church, you kind of get into um, survival mode. You're really just trying to survive. You're trying to stay afloat, trying to make things happen like a live stream and trying to disciple people, but keep six feet from them and, and all of that stuff. And so it's been kind of a difficult season of survival, but I believe that it's a season. It's time to kind of move forward into thriving and moving forward because we're the church and we're on the offense and we're toppling over the gates of hell. So as we move into this new year, I want to uh, encourage us and inspire us today about the work that God has be- begun here that he is going to carry to completion, as Paul says, because there has been a good work begun here. Do you believe that? I believe that a good work began here, a new work began here when we returned from COVID last year. And I see the, the thing that excites me the most is I see a hunger for the presence of God among this people like I have not yet experienced ever since I've been here. And that excites me. There is a true and tangible felt desire for the presence of the Lord. And if we have that and we keep faithful to that, we're going to get on track and stay in the right direction. Amen. So let's look at uh, Philippians. I just want to look at a few of these verses from what Paul says this morning. Now, he's writing from prison, and it's, it's, it's miraculous to me that somebody could be so joyful and full of life who's writing from prison. Uh, but he's encouraging them, and in verses, I'm going to look at verses 4 and 5. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So I want to just take a minute and acknowledge and thank you for your partnership with me in the work of the spreading the good news and the work of serving Christ and serving his people. I want to thank each and every one of you who, who's signed up to do the, to, to do kingdom life in this church because you have been faithful and I have every reason to trust that you are going to continue to contend at my side for the truth of the gospel and for the power of the kingdom to be manifest in this place. I have every reason to believe that. Um, Now, here's what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, being confident of this in verse six, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So a good work has begun, but notice that he says he who began a good work. So a good work did not begin here because I started preaching in a particular way or Jay played music in a particular way or the ushers were particularly friendly or something. A good work began here because there's a sovereign God in heaven who said, I'm going to start a good work in this church and I'm going to develop a people who are so hungry for my presence that it's going to be a powerful place for people to encounter me. I'm going to start a work. And so we are the people who are privileged to be a part of that awesome work of God, his decision to start a work in this church, in this particular place, in this time. You see, the whole story of the gospel is about a good work that comes from God to us. So the very uh, core belief of our salvation, that it's only by grace, it's only that God came down to rescue us, that no one can ever be saved by their good deeds. No one can ever be saved by their good deeds, but by putting their faith in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for their sin. It was a work from God to us. He looked at us, he said, my, 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 how these people need to be rescued. Because they really are lost in their sin and in their rebellion. They're broken. They need a savior. And so it was a work from beginning to end. Our salvation is a work from God to us. But how many of you know that we have to cooperate? We have to participate. Because people can sit in the pews for years and years and years and hear the message of the gospel preached that they will perish apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. And they can just sit there and continue to listen to it. And it goes in one ear and out the other. And they think they're going to be saved if they do enough good works. And on that day, God is going to say, depart from me, worker of iniquity. So we have to realize that fundamentally at the core of what we do as a a church on mission to spread the kingdom is that salvation comes from God to us. But we have to participate. We have to say, yes, I want to be forgiven of my sins and get on board with that. And we also have to say, yes, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit and power so that I can advance his mission in the world and bring more people into this awesome kingdom of a good father who loves his children. Okay, so there's God's work that began Okay, in his mercy and love of his own initiative. He chose to move toward self-serving, self-ruling sinners and to pay for their sins with the life of his son. So that's what God began in salvation. But in the same way, the spirit of God, the spirit of God, by his own initiative and by his own power, marks out particular groups of people for a particular mission. And he begins to work in their midst, advancing the royal reign of Jesus Christ. So not only does God begin the work, he carries it all the way to completion. So you and I don't begin the work. God is carrying something forward in our midst. Do you believe that? 
God is carrying something forward in our midst. Now, you see, God is the one who makes the river flow, but you've got to put your canoe in the water. You've got to put your canoe in the river. God is the one who makes the winds blow, but we are the ones that have to put our sails up and catch that wind and go in the direction that he's pointing, not in our own direction. Okay? So if God speaks to us as a church body and says, this is something that I want to be happening in the life of your community or in the life of your worship, we don't say, well, God, actually, we didn't plan that in the bulletin this week. Right? Right? We say, Holy Spirit, we submit to you because you know what's best. And we'll put all of our plans in subjection to yours so that you can work in the way that you desire to work. You know how many churches are doing church and even people are kind of feeling smiley and happy and says, but there's no, there's no Holy Spirit because the Holy, nobody gave the Holy Spirit room or even invited him into their midst. Okay. But what he does, because why this is so important is the, of the work of carrying the salvation of Christ, his carrying the work of his, his, uh, his sacrificial death forward to save sinners is a sovereign work of the spirit. And when the spirit's not invited and welcomed in, he can't apply the work of Jesus to humans who need it. So we have to realize that it's the spirit working in our midst, no matter what, what direction he calls us in, what he calls us to do as a people, we say yes. That's it. That's the only response that God receives. Yes. Okay. God says, okay, you want to say maybe or maybe later and in your own time, he'll find someone else. Okay. So we want to be a people who say yes and and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You know, you could come to church here for all your life and you could sit in the pew and the spirit could be blowing around you and people are catching wind of what the spirit is doing and the rivers of living water are flowing. But you're like, you know, when you're going down the river in a canoe and there's those tree branches that just been sitting there for years and they're poking out of the water and you kind of got to row fast to go around them. There's people like that that sit in the pews. They're like a stuck branch. They can, they're not, they're always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And the waters of the spirit are just blowing them around them. And they're kind of just sitting there indifferently. Huh? Well, at least I went to church. You got to get and put your canoe in the river. And if that's you, you got to say, Lord, break up my dry, dead limbs and put your life in me so I can flow with the river of your spirit. God wants to change your life today. The the season of Advent is we you hear the word in the readings a lot about repent and repentance. It means making a change means turning from one way to another. And if you're sitting in these pews today and you think I'm kind of think that I'm maybe like that tree limb who's sitting in that river and the spirits have been the spirit of God has been blowing around me. But I'm so stuck in whatever it is, my traditions or my beliefs or my personality or what I want to do and not do that. I'm missing the work of God around me. The Lord invites you in love to repent and to turn towards him. And he's his arms around you and renew you and bring vitality back into your life today. How many of you believe that? There's a, the Lord wants to do a work of revitalization in the hearts of people today. He's a living and present God with us today. So I just want to say this to you, good shepherd. This is not a season for spectator Christianity. We need to be involved saying, Holy Spirit, where are you? What are you doing? What are the needs in church right now? Where can I volunteer? Where can I spend my time? How much can I give to this? Being a spectator and just coming to get something is not what the body of Christ is about. You are a hand or an arm or a limb or a foot or a kneecap or, uh, I mean, I think I'm just a pinky in the body of Christ. But we're a body and you have to contribute and be a part of the movement of spirit that is in our midst. 
We can't, Christianity doesn't really allow for spectators, not for very long. You can kind of come and kind of get acquainted for a few weeks or something, but we want to launch you into service and into ministry because God wants to use you and you have gifts and you have an anointing from God to be used for his kingdom. Don't, don't, don't neglect it. Don't let it grow stagnant. We as Christians are to be vessels of refreshment to the people around us. Okay? You know those water jars that Jesus turned that water into wine? I was reading a story and the person was suggesting, they were speculating, they said, you know, maybe those, who knows how long those water jars have been sitting there and maybe they were getting kind of crusty, corroded, and, you know, the kind of the buildup was kind of coming, it was getting kind of yucky. Some of us become like that in our Christian lives. We were maybe a vessel of refreshment and yet the, the waters kind of started to got uh, rancid and it's kind of sitting there and it's stagnant and it's getting kind of swampy and we need Jesus to pour out new wine into our hearts. Oh, how I want you to want that today, each and every one of us. It's so easy to become a passive spectator Christian. There's always ways to dive into the kingdom and move forward. God will never call you to anything that he himself won't equip you to do and empower you to do and provide the resources for you to do. So would that we be a people who are faithful in our cooperation because not because we feel like God has a big long checklist for us, but because our hearts are inflamed with passion for Jesus. And we want his kingdom to be advanced before his return. So here's, here's, the, here's where I want to go with this. In verse 9, Paul says, This is my prayer, he's praying for the church at Philippi, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern, everybody say discern, discern what is best. What does that mean? As the love of our community increases and abounds more and more among the saints, the way that that will manifest is that there's a deepening of knowledge and discernment in the spirit of the people about what is best according to God's plan for us. Okay? So love... Uh, the love of the saints as it increases through serving one another, loving each other, encouraging each other, forgiving each other. As that increases, the Holy Spirit is drawn to that. He's, he's looking for a community of genuine love. And then he comes into that. And what happens is that through that, somehow the Spirit of God gives us deeper insight into what he's doing in our midst so that we can get on board with it more and more. Does that make sense? All right, so what I, what I like to do and what I, what I feel like the direction to go from here is um, I want to share three things that for us as, as a church that I believe it's necessary for us to do to be discerning God's will to abounding in that love so as we look into 2022, okay? I wanna, I want, what I want to do is I want to paint some vision for you. Can I do that? I want to paint vision for you because we're looking at a January in just a few weeks here. So this is... Some vision for the year uh, 2020, uh, 2022. I think there's three things. There's, I could have done ten things, but there's three that I felt the Spirit of God telling me to share uh, today. The first one and the most important one is that there is an increased hunger and openness to the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what distinguishes true Christianity from um, pewianity. Pew. This is what distinguishes true Christianity from religion. This is what distinguishes God's people from the rest of the peoples on the face of the earth is that his presence is welcomed among them and is working among them because his presence is welcome. 
And I want to share with you um, that I, I'm convinced that one of the most disobeyed commands of Scripture in the Western church today is do not quench the spirit. I think that's one of the most disobeyed commands in the Western church today. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's from 1 Thessalonians 5.19. So the Spirit is being likened unto fire, and if you don't want to quench Him, you need to make sure that you're not doing things that are, in essence, buckets of water that you're dumping on the Spirit's fire. Rigidity. Bitterness towards others. Those sorts of things. Unforgiveness. Being afraid of what people think if we have signs and wonders or healing miracles in our church. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit because he's the he's the star because he always points to Jesus. Okay, Um, I want to share with you a dream that I had several weeks ago that I think the Lord was speaking to me specifically about the healing ministry and being a church that is open and asking God to to actually do miracles in our midst. I had a dream and I'll just share with you a part of the dream very simple is that I was in some kind of a gathering and it was a large gathering and there was um, a, there was like a stage an elevated platform and there was a sign and that I was supposed to see so that I could pay attention to it. And the sign said something about do not block the uh, it said do not uh, hinder the visibility of signs, wonders and miracles. It was like what should be happening on the platform, what should be elevated in front of the people is the power of God and signs, wonders and miracles. And this sign that the Lord showed me said, do not get in the way and block people's view of that. I think it was it was it was quite quite gen uh, to, to be quite honest. I think it was somewhat of a chastisement because I've kind of maybe uh, withdrawn or kind of forgotten or neglected that work of, of of having an open space up here for the power of God to flow. Because I can tell you that almost every time we've said if you need healing in your body or if somebody has a word of knowledge for somebody and we've invited people up to pray almost every single time someone's been healed. There's something about God loves to display his goodness and his love and his power publicly. Okay, so I want to be a church that doesn't is not embarrassed about the work of the Holy Spirit and finding the time and the opportunity to give him space to work. And sometimes that just might me be coming up here in the pulpit and saying, you know what? God wants to touch people today. So we're going to just pray for the sick. Okay, so that's what we want. That's the kind of openness that we we want to be. The bulletin is it helps give us a framework and a structure for our worship. But the Holy Spirit's really our our order of service. (laughs) Okay, he's he's not concerned. God's not going to get upset if we forget to do the Apostles Creed a week here or there or something like that. If as long as we're as long as we're making space for him to move. One of our core values that we developed as a leadership team is in all of our gatherings, we prioritize his presence. I am so afraid that that would just become a platitude among us. I want this to be a reality that we live into in our own individual lives. And every time we gather We welcome the presence of Jesus. We make sure that we have undivided hearts who are focused on him, that are open to all that he wants to do in our midst. Because that is what's going to lead to transformation of human lives, is is being open and inviting his spirit, the spirit of God, 
to work. I was reading um, a book this week, um, and they were talking about worship and the statistics. It was a book of research and the statistics of the percentage of Christians. About half of Christians in the United States say that they have not had a felt encounter with the presence of God in since they can remember, and they go to church all the time. That should not be. Okay, we should be people who come hungry and thirsty and expecting to be touched by God in our worship and actively engaged with it because God is he is hungry to to, to move in our midst. I can tell you that he is eager. The lion of Judah is eager to pounce and to destroy the works of the devil, to heal sick bodies, to bring people to a true knowledge of Jesus so that they are truly born again and saved from their sins, delivered from darkness and set free into the light, into the kingdom of God. You believe me? Okay, good. Um, Number two is this. Um, In obedience to the Great Commission, we need to have a commitment to reaching the lost. We start, I started to talk about this and kind of trying to bring attention to this, and then COVID hit, and it became very difficult to have like an out, outreach events and things like that. But we have no excuses now because Florida's like the, the, the least COVID-y state right now. <laughs> so we have no, we have no excuses. Um, in the book of Acts, when you read through and you start seeing the church growing, it constantly uses a phrase. It says, God added to their number those who were being saved. So it's God, again, who started the work and who will complete it. And it's God who, in the midst of it, will bring people to salvation in Christ through the work of this local church. But the people in the book of Acts were out there cooperating with God and preaching the gospel publicly and sharing the gospel with people and inviting people into the community. So there again, there has to be cooperation as God is adding uh, people to our midst. Did you know that um, every disciple of Jesus is called to be a disciple maker? Can I just say that? I know that that ruffles feathers sometimes and some people say, well, I'm not one of those people, the Jesus-y people. I got to tell everybody about Jesus or whatever. I'm like, have you read the Bible? Do you even know who Jesus is? Every Christian disciple is meant to be a disciple maker. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that everybody has a calling to go out and preach on the street every single day. But even in our lives of work, in our interactions with family and friends who are unsaved, who are lost, shining the light of Christ with boldness and with love to bring people in and then to spend the time and the energy that we need to disciple people. And as a church, I, 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 I'm so excited at what I see. I, I had two different people saying, hey, I think that I might be a good mentor for this person. I kind of want to disciple them. Would you be OK with that? I'm like, I love that. If you are a, a Christian who's got biblical knowledge and you're walking with the Lord and your faith is strong, you should be looking and thinking and praying about who you might disciple who might be newer to the faith. Because you, you can. And the more that I can delegate that to the people, the, the better off we'll be, the healthier we'll be. The more of discipleship is going on in our midst. And I, and I see that starting to happen. I see it happening. Oh, I'm, this person says, I'm getting together with this person to have a Bible study or I'm going to get together with this person and, and have some prayer and stuff. And I love what I see. And we need to stay on that trajectory and deepen it because people's lives will go deep. <clears throat> here's here's uh, going back to the idea of the Great Commission and making disciples. Here's I want to read this to you. This is something that I hope inspires you because it, it shows what what is possible when people are just simply willing, just willing. 
to, to, to work and to go out in the power of the Spirit. This is from my favorite Chinese uh, minister, Brother Yoon, uh, who has lived an incredible life and is an evangelist and a preacher uh, and has been very involved in the underground church in China. He says this uh, in one of his books. He says, a number of years ago, the Lord showed the house church leaders in China to launch an initiative called the Gospel Month. Between Christmas and Chinese New Year, so that's uh, February 1st in China, every believer was required, required (laughs) to lead at least three people to faith in Jesus Christ and then begin to disciple and train them in turn to go out and win more people to the Lord. Each church leader was required to lead and disciple at least five people during this time. The results were extraordinary. In my home area of Nanyang alone, more than 12,000 new believers were baptized in a single day. They were then trained, and the following year, approximately 300,000 people came to the Lord in Nanyang. In the years since the Gospel Month was launched, it has spread to many other parts of China, and whole regions have been saturated with the Gospel. Millions of people have been saved, and the church has been a vessel of refreshment for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. You say, well, that's China. No, China doesn't have a different Holy Spirit than you and I do. They, they have less resources and luxury and comfort and freedom in the underground church. But they have the power of God, and we have access to the same power, and God is looking for a people. His eyes are searching throughout the earth for a people to whom he can show himself and through whom he can show himself strong. Churches that say, we don't really do that evangelical stuff. You know, they always say it like that when they don't really understand the gospel. That evangelical stuff. And what they mean by that is we don't do that sharing Jesus with other people stuff. We're kind of above that here. We, you know, don't check your brains at the door. We're kind of intellectual here and we kind of get it. We don't do that stuff like those evangelicals do. That attitude is from the abyss. Because that is, that, that is what the gospel is about. It is about advancing the kingdom and reaching the lost. And we should be evangelical in every way because the word evangel means gospel. Good news. Okay? I believe in being Catholic in the sense that we are, we are connected to the entire universal church. That's what the word Catholic means, universal. We are uh, consistent in celebrating the sacraments that the Lord commanded us to celebrate, Eucharist and baptism. And I think that we are to be evangelical, that we are committed to the authority of God's word and spreading the gospel. And we are to be the other stream, which is what? Charismata. Charismatic, open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that that work of the gospel can go forward, not in our own power, but in God's. You catching vision here? Are you feeling like, man, God is doing stuff and God wants to do a lot more? I believe that this year, what is going to be essential for us is establishing a presence as a church at community events, whether it's that we have a tent like Asbury. They've got us like way out of their way. They're, they're smoking us on this. They've got tents every Maitland event. They've got a tent up. But whether it's doing that or it's simply having a prayer group who grow, goes out to walk around and to pray with people and to share the gospel in a simple way, I think it's essential for us this year to establish a presence at community events. Um, I was at the Christmas party thing at Lake Lily last night, and I thought, my gosh, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. We cannot miss these kind of things next year. Um, Lots of people 
Lots of lost, unsaved people who need someone to tell them that there's a Savior who loved them so much he bled and died for them. I think that we need to run Alpha, the Alpha program, regularly at this church. We should have a need to run it. Alpha is an eight-week course that takes you through the basic. It's for seekers and for new Christians, and it kind of takes you through the basics, and it helps people who are asking questions about Christianity discover who Jesus is and what the Bible is and how to have a relationship with him. And then you have a retreat weekend that's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's something that we should need to run regularly because there's new believers coming into our midst because the church is doing the work of the gospel. And I, I, and I am committed to being an example in that and continuing to share the gospel in my own life with people and, and seeking to lead in that way. Okay, last thing, last thing. We're almost done here. Number three, this is really important, and it kind of going in a little bit of a di- different direction, but we need a relational approach to discipleship. What, what we want, what, what are going to come to the door as we share the gospel and spread the gospel are people, not um, dollars, or, um, or, or uh, numbers on our, uh, in our red book that takes attendance. They're people, okay? So we need to bring people in and make them feel loved, make sure that no one is falling through the cracks when they come through the doors. And our ushers have been doing a great job lately of making sure they get connection cards from people, and we want to continue that work. Um, but God is a relationship God. He's all about relationship. It's why he sent Jesus, because we, there was no other way for us to have a relationship with him than for him to send someone to, take on, to pay the price for our sins. So he's a relationship God. God is, he, he, he looks at us as friends. If people who have accepted Jesus as Savior, he, he's a friend. And so we need to have a simple, this is a practical thing, we need to have a simple streamlined process for moving people quickly from the red doors to the volunteer rota, to small group fellowship, right, discipleship, leadership training. One of the things I'm going to be working on as a pastor and leader this year is leadership development and trying to develop leaders of ministries. Um, we need to have a streamlined process for that. But that also includes inviting people to forsake their sin and to turn to Jesus as Savior, not just from the pulpit, but in conversations over at coffee hour, in your own life, when you take them out to lunch, whatever that needs to be, that's a part of relational evangelism and discipleship is getting to know someone, offering them that your friendship at no cost with no strings attached, but knowing that you have an, uh, you have an obligation, a responsibility from the Lord to at least give that person the chance to receive Jesus as their savior. Okay, that's relational. See, if our love is abounding more and more, we'll make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. We've got to be vigilant about that. If you see someone over at fellowship hour and you're not familiar with them and they're sitting by themselves, as James says, brothers and sisters, this should not be. That's not a rebuke. I'm not saying anybody's doing that, but it's really easy to drop the ball on that because we want to chat with our friends. So if all of us have eyes and go, okay, I don't know that person. They're new today. I need to go talk to them and love on them and make them feel the love of Jesus. Okay. Um, And then... Then discipleship also, the, the practical side of it will look like, you know, we'll continue obviously to offer educational opportunities on Sunday at our Sunday morning theology uh, class. We'll continue small, uh, small group Bible studies, alpha groups throughout the years. But also, um, like I said earlier, more mature members who know and love Jesus a lot and who have been following him for a while, reaching out to newer 
uh, members who, who don't know Jesus as well as they do and helping them get to know him more by meeting up with them and doing discipleship, reading scripture together, praying together, talking about life together. Those kind of things are going to be essential for us to be a healthy, mobilized, kingdom of God-oriented church. Amen? Okay. So what does this have to do with Advent and Jesus' return? Everything. Here's what Paul says at the end of the passage. He said everything, and then in verse 10 he says, So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's his return. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. That is, when you stand before him, your life has produced the fruit of a person who's in true, right relationship with God. You made disciples. You served in the hospitality and the way that God called you to. You served as an usher in the way God called you to. You loved his people. You gave your time, your resources, and your money to, to advance the kingdom because you knew your eternal reward in heaven was far greater than anything on this earth. And that's, that's, that's the... That's everything, is that it's all going to come to a head when Jesus returns. We'll stand before him and give, an, give, him, give an account, okay? I'm not trying to scare you into volunteering more. That's not, don't, don't, if you're hearing that, don't hear that. I'm trying to say that as a, peop, as a people of God, we're called to be mobilized, not spectators, but mobilized for the kingdom. Now is a season where um, the heat is going to get turned up against Christian thought, Christian belief, and Christian practice. We see it all over the political sphere and social sphere right now. The fundamental ideologies that are trying to drive our culture forward are anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-nuclear family, all of that stuff. Okay, and I'm not not trying to preach a political sermon, but the reality is is that is that by nature the kingdom of God is done in the midst of a political kingdom, and it, often its ideologies clash. That's biblical. Okay, so we now is a season to do what we're called to do, to say, Lord, show us as a church how to discern your will, which is best, and what you're doing in our midst, so that we can reach the lost and just be in when you return, you find us laboring in your vineyard faithfully, joyfully, full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I want us to do something. I want everybody to stand up.